This podcast is produced in partnership with Free2, a communications and digital agency for the charity world. We enable impact for good through thoughtful communication and efficient use of digital. Find out more at freed2.com. So welcome to the Leadership Podcast with myself, Sim Dendy, and my co-host, Ed Perry. Ed, you want to say anything before we start? Hello, Sim. I'm really glad to be back. And um, yeah, look, I hope, you're, I hope you're all enjoying the series so far. Um, thank you very much for listening. Yes, yeah, thank you, those who are joining us week in, week out. We have got some more great guests for you today. Our podcast guest is actually our first for us. It's a husband and wife team, Steve and Angie Campbell. Between them, they lead the influential C3 Church, known for its worship, its teaching, its generosity. Steve teaches throughout the UK beyond, uh, advising on his greatest passion, the local church. And as a gifted communicator, Steve has conviction to change people's perception of the church and what it should be. And apparently I learned as well that Steve is an avid table tennis fan and will take on anyone who's willing to challenge him. So there we go, podcast listeners. If you want to have a challenge of table tennis, you can head to Cambridge and give Steve a challenge. Um, Steve's wife, Angie, is a qualified teacher, has taught maths for numbers of years, and is now a qualified Life Thrive professional, a system that has helped shape many areas of C3 within the last few years. Angie loves to launch new initiatives and ministries. I know that is true. And she's been instrumental in setting up Cambridge City Food Bank, Breathe Ministries, C3 Impact, and much, much more. Along with all this, Steve and Angie are also the national directors of the Global Leadership Network, and they have a deep conviction that people really matter, and this fuels everything they do in the local church. So first of all, welcome to the podcast, Steve and Angie. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Good yeah, to be here. Good to be here. And and maybe I'll just expand the table tennis. I prefer fly fishing these days. So if anybody wants to take me fly fishing, even better. <laughs> Amazing. Fly wow. fishing and table tennis. What a combo. <laughs> and for me, I love creating things. So anybody wants to do like a session on like creative craft, quilting, macrame, sewing, crochet, all that stuff is, is my bag. There we go. I love it. Amazing. Oh, I've got an image awesome. of, of you sitting on the side of Riverbank with Steve fly fishing and, and Angie next door quilting. <laughs> <laughs> Tales of the Riverbank. Idyllic. Idyllic. There we go. Yeah, perfect. Um, this is our first time, as Sim said, having a married couple on the show. So really looking forward to this conversation. Uh, Steve and Angie, you've been in Cambridge for about 30 years now, I think. Um, right. But tell us a little bit how you got there. Um, how did you end up in Cambridge? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Next April, we have been in Cambridge 30 years. Uh, so April 94. How did we get here? Mm. Well, we, we led a church. I nearly said down the M6 and down the A14, but that was very facetious, wouldn't it? So um, the the we led a church in the Wirral, which was called in those days Wirral Community Church. If anybody knows where the Wirral is, it's the... Uh, the posh side of Merseyside, you've got the River Mersey separating us. And, and so we're not real scousers, or what they call plastic <laughs> or, um, or or less endearing terms we hear as well. But we, we, we were leading a church there. We'd just done a building program, and um, it, it was a school we'd bought, and we did a big launch weekend. And in those days, we were part of a much larger net, net, network of churches, and the kind of apostolic oversight as interesting language to discuss 
they came in and took the service along with Frank Fields, the MP. We were opening all kinds of things. And the next day over lunch, this guy said to us, have you ever considered leaving the Wirral? And the strange thing was we we had, but it, we, we didn't feel that that was the time. We'd been away to Bible college. We came back to the church. We'd ended up being an assistant kind of, well, it was everything. Basically, my job description when I went was everything. Uh, Angie went back into teaching after we'd been to Bible college. And we felt we're not going to be here forever, but we just didn't know when. And anyway, he, he planted a seed. He said to us, call me when you want to move. Uh, six months later, we rang him. Church was going well in mm. the world, but we just sensed some disquiet. It was time to move. And he gave us a choice of two places to pray about. One was Leeds and the other one was, was Cambridge. Um, I didn't mention Leeds to Ange until we'd been to Cambridge. Uh, <laughs> and we came in October 93, actually, as fresh as weekend, stood in the middle of Cambridge City and no angelic visitations, but all we can say is we knew that we knew we were meant to be here. Um, and so we went back to the, the team that were overseeing us and said, we feel Cambridge is the place. Can we make more inquiries? And when it was all decided, the only thing we said to the, the leader, the apostolic guy, was, can we stay somewhere long term? Because we'd observed a lot of movement in the network and movement that... I, I, actually happened usually when there was some kind of crisis in the church and it was either that the the leader was moved on or that the church imploded so we, we were kind of observing that there's either issues with the church or issues with the leader and often we'd seen the leader moved on and the same thing happened somewhere else so that was a bit of a clue maybe it wasn't the church so mm. we you know we know we're going to have a honeymoon we we were in our early 30s then um could we stay somewhere for the long haul well 30 years later, here we are. We didn't anticipate 30 years, I've got to be honest. I thought long haul might have been 10 years, but um, but here we are, and it's not felt like 30 at all. And, of course, there's been lots of changes. We were The, the instruction we were given was the church was existing, but the instruction we were given, it, it's in disarray. There was three kind of factions in the church. It was about 150 people, maybe 200 on a good day, Um and they said to us, go and close it down or make it work. That was our kind mm. of... Um, we yeah. made it work by the grace of God, but the reality is to do that, we had to leave that network, which was mm. slightly ironic. Um, but that's what we did. And by God's grace, it's gone from strength to strength. I remember a phrase that was used was like, um, when will this giant arise? And it was like there was a potential in the city of this giant would rise. <laughs> And uh, I always thought about the fact that the, the head is always the thing that's lifted up first. And until the leadership and the actual structure was actually in place, then the church itself couldn't rise. Um, and that's what we kind of really have set over many years to try and establish uh, what we're about, what our vision, what our values are, what the structure would, would look like um, in that. And the other thing that um, people gave us a prophetic word on that, it would be totally different. It would be like black and white. And it totally was. So the north of England, like the highest unemployment, come to Cambridge, the lowest unemployment in the country. Um, we had a building in Cambridge, in Wirral. We had no buildings in Cambridge. Um, Steve didn't really have an office to start out with. Um, the the economics is just so different in the different cities. The the town and gown with the university just dominates. There's no university in the world. 
So at times you thought, wow, God sent us to something which is totally opposite than what our background is in many ways, but we brought our background with us to really build something different and unique here in the city. Yeah. And Angie, also, can I just jump on the back of that? Because I'm, I'm aware that when you moved to Cambridge, I'm assuming the kids were small. Your your kids are now a late 20s, early 30s? 30s, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so they must have been small. Sorry? Yeah, they were Four and two, Joshua, Josh and Becky, yeah. But, so but it, no, it goes on. It was a big deal to move. It was a big deal to leave grandparents. So both sets of grandparents were on the world. And to be honest, in some ways we felt, you know, that was our hometown. Will we actually ever become fully reach our potential in our hometown? We've been sent to Bible College for her, went back again. Um, and it was comfortable to be around everyone there. But actually, we took that step of faith, really, to move. I remember being upset about the idea, but then reading the book of um, Elizabeth Elliot and yeah. how her husband was killed on the mission field, and then she went back to the mission field. And I thought, if Elizabeth Elliot could do something like that, surely I can move down south. <laughs> <laughs> to Cambridge. Not fully south, but it's on the way, definitely. South for us. Yeah. And I, I, I've yeah. the time I've known you guys, I've watched you, particularly Angie, kind of go from sort of more on the, on the fringe and some involvement to full involvement in the church, you know, and, and then not just that's it, and you and Steve very much side by side rather than Steve's running ahead and you're doing a few projects in between kids and other things. Now I'm watching not just the two of you working together, but I know your kids are on the staff team of the church doing great things from what I've seen. I jumped online and saw some stuff and I know some of the impact work that your daughter does and things. How is that work? Because the complications around family of being on staff together, working together, uh, having to maybe even manage some of those expectations from people in the church. That's a big issue. I know I'm opening up a bit of a, not quite a can of worms, but it's a, it's a conversation around churches and especially if they're smaller. How's that work for you? How have you kept that... Um, have you kept that really done properly and well and above reproach? I think it's a really good conversation to have. And I think it, it, that kind of worms has to be open. And I think we have to be open and honest about it. And I think that's one thing we've really done from the start. So with our trustee board, with our staff, um, we say, obviously, there are a lot of accountables here. We've had um, different external boards come into us and then we have a discussion with us not present with our staff saying, are there any issues? Are there, uh, Does anyone have concerns over this? So we try to have an open and honest conversation about it. We don't line manage any of our children. That's one thing that we put in place that other people line manage. Um, if we need to be involved as senior pastors within discussions we always have somebody else with us within kind of team meetings or any kind of not disciplinary but if there's conversations that need to be had or appraisals for example we always have the staff members in with us as well so we are very conscious of it we were conscious of real blessing we didn't anticipate it we this was never kind of part of our plan or our vision like we want our kids to work for us one day we never said that we just wanted our kids to know Jesus and to love Jesus and to find the path that God had for them. And so for us, it feels like a real bonus that they are with us and they are supporting us and um, they they are standing their own right in their own ministries and their own areas. They've each got unique giftings and skills that they walk in. And I think that helps as well. The staff actually say that to us, that, you know, every one of them are there in their own right because they can see the value add that they bring to the to the church to the organization um 
I, I sometimes I think, you know, people ask us, how did how have you done this? And we don't really know how we've done it. We've just done our relationship with God with them and uh, walk the journey of church with them. And so they've always come with us to events or to setting up from tiny you know josh would go with off with steve um very early you know before our service and just like coming on the journey with us that's why we're very seen much seeing it our kids come on the journey with us um and because of that they've seen the good the bad and the ugly they've seen they've seen the heartache behind church ministry as well so sometimes we have days where we go we wish our kids didn't work in kids uh, in church with us because we feel like we're not only, you know, supporting wages for everyone in our staff team, it affects our kids as well. So it's not only just affecting us if anything happened, heaven forbid, um, but, you know, it affects the whole family. So we are very mindful of that and try and put very strong safeguards in that um, and balances and checks in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think Angie said it really well. I never wanted, both of us never wanted our children to work for the church. It was not something as they grew that I was praying for every day. I I, I was not. In fact, if I'm honest, I would have preferred historically that they didn't. I wanted wanted an easier life for them and I wanted wanted them to earn more money than I ever have. Honestly, that's me just being real um they were thoughts that i had so please go and work do anything else Um, Mm. but i do think each of them but the parallel to that was but i do want them to be passionately in love with jesus and i (laughs) and i do want them to love the local church yeah Yeah. but i didn't just didn't want the same experience that i've had for them i want to make their path easy what what father doesn't you know and that might not be the Mm. best path for them but you know you try to protect them don't you so I think with every one of them, and they range from 25 to 32, they, they had this own their own sense of call. And I'm, I'm a bit old school with that because I don't think anything would have kept us in leadership if we hadn't known God had called us to this. And that call was the anchor mm-hmm. that kept us from flying away. You know, I, I often felt over the wings of a dove that I might fly away, you know. I wanted to get out when things weren't going well because we've had seasons like that. Mm. Um, but I think that call anchors them. And so the last person to come on staff was our daughter. And just talking about processes, she was living in Australia at the time um, and she saw a job came up, which is what we now call our impact pastor. So it's heading up all our community. And she was living there working she applied for the job. Did we know she was applying? I yeah. think we knew she was applying. But as soon as we knew, we stepped out of the process. So we didn't do any interviewing. We didn't. That was all done. And to the first we heard, and she was quite private with it as well, the first we heard was we've offered the job to Becky. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that we were thrilled, but we weren't involved in the process. We stepped out. That's one of the things we would do. Uh, and still do so even the trustees we meeting we had last week talking about pay rises for 2024 well um we can't talk about the campbells in this room that's for someone else to talk about and that's absolutely fine mm. that that's a right practice mm. 
Well, for what it's worth, Steve and Angie, I think your kids are great. And if they don't want to work for you anymore, I'll give them a job the next day. (laughs) So I think the process is obviously working. But more importantly, I love the fact you were saying about bring them alongside with you, walking the journey. My daughter's just started an intern program at our church. I tried to get her to go everywhere else. I gave her leaflets. I sent her links to websites. I went, these other great churches, go and visit somewhere else. And she said, but I love our church. And I was trying to go everything I could to send her somewhere else. She's here. She's loving it. And that's been a kind of our little journey. So we're a little bit behind you on that, but it's kind of fun uh, to observe. So, yeah, mm. thanks, for the, thanks for the standards you're setting that creates yeah. the pathway for other kids of church leaders to actually find a way forward. So, yeah, thank you. I think, you I'm know... Curious, um, sorry, oh, go no, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, um, I'm curious a little bit about um, boundaries, perhaps. Uh, and maybe you might say, well, actually, you know, this is all part of how we're making life going. But I can imagine, you know, working with your children, uh, family life. Yeah. How do you maintain, do you need to maintain that sense of boundary? And how do you do it? And what challenges have you found in that? That, that's a really good question because because it, it is a challenge. So it, our our son works for us. He met his his which wasn't his wife then. Obviously his fiance she became then in the church. So she's a Campbell now. She wasn't when we first knew her. So that's two of them work for us. Then our eldest daughter, and obviously us. So that's five of us. And then we've got one younger daughter. Now if you spoke to our younger daughter who is a worship leader, pastor in a church in London, voluntary, and works for a Christian ministry, she would say we don't get the boundaries very good because when we get together, we talk too often about the church. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and she's right to pull us up on it. Come on, guys. We're here now. You know, husbands work for a bank, and we, we can't re- we're not in your world like that every day. We don't know who you're talking about. So it is a challenge. So we do try to call one another out. Um, our, our daughter-in-law is actually very good at creating spaces outside of church and, and pulling us into that, which is really healthy for us because we can get a little bit myopic, if I can say it like that. So we do have to watch that. We um, we, we try, There shouldn't be any such thing should there, as no God zones. So we're all trying to bring God in. We do have some context where we try to say, this is a no church zone. You know, we're, we're not going to talk about the church and the job today because we're here to, I don't do you know. Have a, do you have a church swear jar? <laughs> <laughs> so we've got two grandchildren now, that are, they're true. five and two, and that really helps because everything gets focused mm-hmm. around the kids instead and we do fun activities with them and that is really helpful when they're around that we um yeah we focus on family life which is which is great we even we even have been on family holidays together we didn't do a list year but last year we did we're doing one next year so we we must be getting on all right together if we actually go on holiday as well as work with each other (laughs) i think the one and also um it really struck me that what you said about um everyone having their individual sense of calling um we spoke to Gary Streeter earlier this week as well. And he said, look, he really felt called into politics. And when he questions it, he still goes back to that calling. And um, sounds like you're saying a similar thing, not just for yourselves, but for each of your um, children as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We, we, we'd we say this to anyone, but we certainly said it to them. Working for the church is not a career move. You know, you're not doing this to advance your career. You're doing this because you sense God calls you to it. 
Uh, and if you, you know, if you can do anything else, do the other thing. But each of them have come back and said, no, we can't. And it's interesting watching our youngest daughter because she's so involved with the church, but that's not her job. You know, she, she's got a job with a Christian ministry, but that's not her job. But she she so loves the local church. And I think when people ask us, what's the one thing you've done right? And and I, I often say, it, number one, I say, it's more Ange than me. And, I, and people laugh at me and say that, but it, it was. It was more Ange than me. Um, she she shaped them better than, than I did and protected them when they needed protecting. And so I think it was, I do say, Ange did better. But the second thing is we did teach them to love the church. So we, we try not to destroy the church in our conversations. And we think that's important because God loves the church. Christ died for the church. Yeah, so well let's, said. you know, let's not be unreal. We want to be real about it, but we want to build up, not pull down. And I think they saw that yeah. from us. And therefore, they haven't come, got this cynical attitude about the church. Mm, mm, mm. And talking about your church as well, uh, you said you were you were sent there either to make it work or to to shut it down, and you've made it work. And in that time, you have, there's been new buildings, you've expanded new ministries. Uh, more recently, Church Online. So this is this sort of feels like there's a spirit of innovation and looking for the next new thing. Uh, how do you sense uh, what that next new thing uh, is? How do you sense that direction um, to go in? Good how question. do we sense it? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll say this first off. Some of the things that we're doing and the way they've gone, we didn't sense at all. They came to us. True. Um, mm. So one of the things we we do was I just mentioned we 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 every Sunday we're in prisons so we're in um, sixty eight eighty prisons sixty eight thousand potential prisoners watch our services we didn't do we, we never went looking for that at all we did, we never had so when people say your, your prison ministry we look at what's our prison oh yeah we do that don't we because a TV channel in a prison called Way Out TV, saw our service. The guy contacted us, Jazz, and said, I like the tone and I like what you're doing. Can you do a service? So this was in lockdown. Can you do a service every Sunday for us? Yeah, of course we can. <laughs> and we set up a free post so that they write to us and we get, and we've carried that on way beyond uh, lockdown. And we'll, we may talk about global leadership. We do it also with global leadership summits material as well. But we never went looking for that at all. That came to us. What we were good at was saying yes. And we, right. we were therefore able to flex really quickly, take a risk and be willing, if it didn't work, for it to fail. So, you know, we're just starting in the next few months what's called a microsite, which is a very small expression of church. We've been talking about it. But a church building in a local village, in fact, Sim will know it because you were from that area originally, uh, in a village called Fordham. There was a church there called Fordham Congregational, and the congregation's closed down. But the trustees are still running the place. They approached us and said, could you come and do a service here and do some work in the community? So very quickly, we've got a team together. And in the new year, we can start the Sunday afternoon service there and some community work in the week. Um, and it hasn't taken as long from start to finish to get there. Mm. Probably, I'm very impatient. It's probably taken longer than I would have liked. 
but really it's taken about six months maximum. Um, that came to us. So I think it's our ability to be nimble and to be responsive that has been very helpful to us. We have uh, twice a year, we have what we call a vision offering. And that vision offering is for what the new things of the vision that we haven't yet fulfilled. And so our tithes and our general offerings are for maintaining and our vision offering is for what we want further. And so within the culture of the church is twice a year an expectation that God has got something new for us and that we're going to keep on moving forward and we're going to always look and ask God what is the next thing that we need to kind of really work and all reinforce and support. So I've just come back from um, a meeting with Food Bank here in the city. Now, over 10 years ago, I helped to set the food bank up here in the city. And then when we did our new building, I pulled away from it to establish what was going on in the building. So today I just had a meeting about the food bank and C3 working together to have a um a unit on our site to actually do work like a social supermarket uh, with C3 and food bank working together. And the food bank, that was one of the initiatives you think there's a need there and uh, we can we can help make that need. So that was something that was very much intentionally of helping to set that up in the city. We had the Catholic Church, the Anglican Church, and us as C3, and we set up a charity and established the food bank, which has been going from strength to strength. So it's just that's one example of something that was a very much an intentional initiative as opposed to coming our way. But I think we do have a culture within the church to expect new things and people like the energy that is is in that i think i think as well because we know what our core mission is that hasn't changed it enables us to very quickly say yes to those things that fit into that and no to those things that don't so every single sunday in our prayer time before um the service at the end of it we with all the teams we we say we ask this question and it's boring and it's every week but it's who's reaching and shaping a generation with the message and cause of Christ today. And everyone shouts out, we are, uh, you know, and it's the emphasis of we're doing this together, mm-hmm. but that statement of our mission, which, which effectively is the great commission, but not as well as Jesus ever said it, because mm-hmm. we don't want to stray from that. That's what we're about. It really enables us to bring things in. So I think one of the ways, which doesn't, it doesn't sound contradictory, one of the ways that we've been able to innovate is because we're really clear on what we're supposed to be doing and what fits in. And so we can add those things in without it going off vision or mission drift. I'm not saying we've never done anything that's mission drift. Of course we have. And then you realize, why are we doing this? And it's harder to say no than yes for us anyway. So, but I think that does help us. Steve, you can make this sound very like self-effacing and oh, these things come our way and, you know, we innovate without, you know, but I think building that culture over many years is something that has been quite intentional. And I remember I came to your opening service for your new fancy building in Cambridge, beautiful space on the roundabout there, stunning looking building. And then in a matter of, I don't know what it was, 18 months, you're already planting a new church or new you know new congregation into a, an old building and i'm like you are mad you've got this beautiful building you've had to raise millions of pounds the thing yeah. is just like lovely and it's all finished everyone's comfortable in their seats and there's something inbuilt within the two of you and within the culture of the community you're going we're not going to settle there's more need out there um and and i just think you know don't don't 
play that down because I think there's actually a message there for all of us as leaders to go, how do we ensure that we're always keeping the, the mission high in our agenda, not our comfort? And, yes. and I don't know if you can speak into that because there must be some times you're like, let's just stay still for a moment because everything keeps changing. I'm sure some of your elders and leaders will be saying to you, why do you keep creating a new thing? Why are we going to forward? And we just kind of just got into the next place and we just settled in and um, the vision, you know, having to do vision offerings twice a year to to maintain forward momentum, not just staying static. Yeah. Can you speak into the kind of some of the, the, the pain you've had to push through to kind of get some of that innovation? Um, I don't say this in a self-effacing way, honestly. I'll, I'll say it about us. And I think it's a God-given thing that's put in us. We've never felt like, oh, haven't we done well? <laughs> uh, you know, we don't we don't even talk in those terms. Now, there can be a negative, I'm sure, to that because you can be driven in a wrong way. But the need is so great. And I, I think the other thing to speak into it is we try to keep really close proximity. You know, our statement, people really matter. Honestly, we believe that. It's like Blackpool Rock. If you cut us through, we really believe that. So we keep that close proximity to people, and particularly people that can't add anything to us mm. in natural terms. Mm. Uh, we, we try to respect every individual. But when I, when we meet someone, so we've just done, I'll, I'll talk figures, but we just did in Cambridge, this was 265 dinners last Christmas dinners last week for people in the community. When you hear their stories, because I, I, I served and served on a table, and this isn't to blow our own trumpet, we want to do that. We want to stay close to people. And you hear their stories and what people are facing. We, we've got so much work to do, so much need out there. It's absolutely, you know, it can overwhelm you. And sometimes I do feel overwhelmed. Um, but I, I do, I like, I like the scripture where Jesus said, while it's day, there's work to do. That's my paraphrase. While it's light, we've got to keep going. And, and we, we are driven by that. We are. Yeah. yeah we are. <laughs> <laughs> mm. we, um, we're you're... very good at having taken a break, but we do try and keep reminding ourselves to pace ourselves a little bit. And the years are creeping up, mm. but we're still, we're still <laughs> going at it as hard as we can. Mm. Yeah. Alongside your responsibilities of leading the church, you're also directors, both of you, of the uh, Global Leadership Network in the UK, um, which is a leading network of leadership support and resources for Christians. Um, looking at leadership in general, though, we are, I think it's fair to say, confronted on a daily basis almost with sort of leadership failure or poor examples or things not to live up to. And, you know, it's worth saying as well that GLS globally has not been immune from that either. So I'm keen to understand and learn from you a little bit on, you know, what you've learned from that yourselves and, you know, kind of having to lead that group off the back of uh, leadership failure and, and where you stand on that. Yeah, really good question. It's another one of those subjects that should be talked about. Um, you know, like we said before, we, we should open the can of worms and, and be honest about it. For us, taking over Global Leadership Network in this country, um, we took it over where clearly trust had been damaged. And let's let's face it, the only commodity we have to deal with as leaders in our sphere is trust. If we lose the trust, 
you've lost the cement, you've lost, use whatever metaphor you like, it, it doesn't stick together. So we are in the process of, of rebuilding trust. Um, I, I think, and this is what we're trying to do, I remember reading, is it Howard Schultz, the guy who, who was the CEO of Starbucks, he left and then came mm. back. And he talks in there about, because things had gone wrong, but because he had a good credibility from the past, I think he used this phrase, there was a reservoir of trust that he could mm. work on. So I think we've, we've got that. We're also aware trust can be uh, broken very quickly. So we've got to rebuild that trust. One of the ways of rebuilding that, of course, is who you connect with, um, because you can borrow their trust. Uh, so, so for example, mm. GLN, um, Craig Rochelle has taken things over by way of the the ambassador. Without a Craig Rochelle, I don't know whether GLN globally could have stuck together, because he had such an amazing reputation. People basically say, okay, because I trust Craig. I'll trust GLM because he's there. And I, and I think you have to, you might not be able to do that forever. I don't know whether, I haven't got a clue whether Greg Rochelle will stay involved forever or not. He's committed, I think, for the next five years. Um, but that's really helped. So I think when trust is lost, it's 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 dreadful, it's awful. We, we face it all the time, talking to churches that won't get involved again because of what happened. Um, so we just have to rebuild one day at a time and see where we can go. I, I do think in the church generally, um, because we're a trust-based organization in, in so many ways, it hits us harder. Uh, and maybe we have to learn to not ignore what's gone on, but be as gracious as we can for new beginnings as well. And I don't mean by that grace never covers up. It's got to be grace and truth in perfect combination. And only Jesus did that, we know. But I think we have to work hard at keeping the truth out there and then keeping the grace out there at the same time and keeping those two together. And that's what we're trying to do. Don't want any cover-ups. Let's deal with anything quickly. Let's be open. But then let's be as grace-filled as we can towards people. I mean, people said to us, you know, with the whole Hillsong stuff, let's be honest about that as well. Are you still going to sing their songs? Um, mm. Well, I still read Psalm 51, actually, you know. <laughs> so yeah. I think I will, yeah. Because <laughs> it doesn't mm. rule everything because truth is still truth, even if it came mm. in a package that needs to. That's where the grace, I think, needs to come in. I think also it beholds us all as leaders to keep humble. I think, you know, it says in scriptures that God opposes the proud. And sometimes when something's very successful, you can get proudful about it, prideful about it, and then start thinking laws and things don't apply to you, you know, that you're beyond beyond it and above it. Um, but if we keep our genuine humility, I know we, it's hard to say, you know, I am as humble as I can be. <laughs> Just not humble. <laughs> well, the people. I mean, people keep us humble. People who come in, you know, on a Friday for our community meals, they keep us humble. Uh, so often, our kids will keep us humble. They don't want us to, um, you know. I went to the office the other day, and our, our, we have small chairs, and then our chairs at the desk are usually higher than the other chairs. And somebody put down 
our chair to be level with the chairs that are around in the room. And I thought it's just a way of saying, don't think of yourself any more important than anyone else, you know, keep a, a level. And sometimes that can be a little bit frustrating because, you know, we have some churches where everybody, you know, moves the, the people move, you know, and there's a gap as they walk through and they're kind of walking on water and everything's done for them. We have to queue up in the coffee shop and pay for our own coffee. You know, we're not we're not trying to be um, entitled in any way, I guess, as well. We're really trying to be cautious around that. This is where probably family can be good. Like you said, I know that my kids will keep me humble. If I've come off a big platform and done something I think is impressive, they're yeah. very quick to laugh about if I'm one up on myself, they are very quick to pull me straight down go, whatever, dad, you yeah. know, they, they've got no time for any, even a moment. I remember once I, I was at spring harvest working and there was a little queue people wanting my autograph. And all I could see behind this queue of people was my children wetting themselves laughing. Cause they thought, <laughs> who do you think you are? Like yeah. what you think you're a big deal, but we know you're just dad. Yeah. And actually it was really good for me because yeah. you, you can think more of yourself than you actually are. Yeah. I guess one of my questions follow up with that would be about how do you keep people accountable? You know, you're, you're in this network of churches, you're trying to sort of support leadership at a wider level. Um, one of the challenges we faced in, in leadership has been inauthenticity. People say one thing, but do something else behind the scenes. How do we really truly hold people to account, especially like you say, when they look like they walk on water, they can do no wrong. You know, they've been successful. Their church is quite big or whatever it might be, but we know that's not necessarily means that they're actually behaving themselves behind the scenes. How do we as fellow leaders hold one another to account in an honorable way? Yeah, I think it um, beholds us to really build a, a supportive and open uh, culture within our staff team and with our volunteers that we don't have toxicity going on that we that people are willing to openly talk to you to um, open dialogue to discuss things that's going to be there we also um, for us what we've done we've got an international advisory board that comes in once a year that will take the pulse of what's going on we can send them lots of reports but also they talk to the staff without us um we also have a kind of a program that a leadership program that our staff over time, each of our staff members been on, which is external to us. So I think we're really trying to get input. It's just not just a an echo chamber that it's just us, but we're actually asking our staff to be developed by other people. And I think that also is very healthy. Um, so it's not all about us, all about what we give, but actually it's about together. We're learning and walking and developing together um, as a church. Yeah, I think the last few years as well, Ange mentioned our um, external advisory board. So we have three people, I won't say who they are, but they're, they're, they're our advisory board at the present time. And last year when he came in, we were in a group and asked some very straight questions, even, particularly around families and, you know, Campbell, all that kind of, how do you feel if Campbells are in the room? Does, and they asked these questions in front of us. And, and you kind of made it, but we invited that. We, we wanted that because I think the entitlement factor and the celebrity kind of culture is people will do that for you. You have to do things to make sure that doesn't happen. It's down to us. So when we talk about accountability, I think it's how do we make ourselves accountable rather than how does someone else be accountable? You know, it's like the area of submission. You know, you, if I have to say to someone, you submit, I've just violated the principle of submission. I should be saying, I'll submit. It's my willingness. And I think it's the same issue there for us. 
accountability. He can put all the processes. I mean, talking about Willow Cree, we, we, we did have a look behind the scenes. You would have thought they were the most accountable group ever in the way they operated with eldership and boards and things on paper. But in practice, it wasn't happening. So someone had to be able to speak into that. And the persons that were involved should have made themselves more vulnerable. I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. Um, I react to it sometimes. But it's. I'll give you an example from this last weekend. And I did not like it at all. But we don't, we we don't have parking we don't have a parking space because partly because we don't have many in the in the building where we are we all have to park in the same place as everyone else which is Sainsbury's, but we had stuff to drop off for our community market, which was in the boot that we picked up from someone in the village here, so we drove in and left the car there. Well, our daughter during the Sunday service. This is yes, sorry. Our daughter at the end of the service was we're going out says to us, "What are you doing parking there?" You know where to park. <laughs> park over the road. No, I didn't like it. But sadly, she's right. I could have just moved it and then something else happened. I won't go into the rest of the story. But little things like that, how do you make yourself vulnerable to that input? And we, we try to do that. We don't always get it right. Um, I think I think as well, and again, not, not to mention too many things, um, you know, there's been stuff in the UK recently, hasn't there, with... Soul Survivor and all of that. And I'm, I'm disappointed in myself because I saw some things in regards to banter that I felt really uncomfortable around. I really did. Mm. I never said anything. I thought, why didn't I say anything? What was I scared of? I had nothing to lose or gain. So we do have to be bold and we have to watch because even humour can be used as a weapon. Um, and so it's allowing others to call you out on that, I think. Mm. And that's that's a really interesting piece about why do we not push forward when we feel you know I had a similar conversation this summer where I I challenged some behaviour and their response was like and I and I'm never going to forget this phrase it's up I thought you were on my side yeah and I said I am Absolutely. that's why I'm just asking this question and I'm someone I'm not employed by you I'm not part of your church community I don't get any benefit directly from our relationship apart from we're friends and you know there's some subtle things around power you know you can access <laughs> opportunities and things there are some sometimes there is a bit of game playing and rackets that can go on but I was asking the question generally because I cared about them and the response was I thought you were on my side and I think like you say the defensive piece being oh I'm being got at but how yeah. do we protect one another from ourselves? Um, yeah. You know, because we've all got the bit, the potential, haven't we, to behave badly yes. in the right set of circumstances or the wrong set of circumstances. Yeah. And who are the real friends? You know, I was just reading that verse you know, in Proverbs talking about the wounds of a friend. Who are the who are the friends that don't mind wounding a friend to to do them a favour and speak the best rather than just say, well, whatever you want to do is great by me, and I think you're amazing. Um, where are the people who are going to be honest to us? And um, especially when the, the people who are closest to you, either family or, you know, or staff actually benefit from your role, it's very hard to ask a very honest question. Um, I don't know if you've experienced that either directly for yourselves or to other people, but is that something that kind of we can learn from this? Yeah, without trying to promote GLS in, in doing this, the, the first talk this year was by Craig Rochelle and his his title was the future of leadership is trust. 
He just talked about three, which I hope I'm going to remember because I can remember the first two as I'm saying it. Three, three areas where we need to work on. One was transparency. Uh, the other was consistency. And the third was... Empathy. Empathy. Thank you. I knew my wife would rescue me then. What a team. Yeah. Um, and for me, I thought, wow, that's those areas are so true by way of maintaining the openness and the, um, the consistency is really important, you know, that we're not up and down. One of the things, you know, you say about why is the church come to where we have, I, I think we try to be consistent, not to up and down, latest fads, it, it's where can be consistent and certainly in our and angie's better at this than me in our moods um moody leaders don't help anyone mm. you know and so again someone needs to and i have seen this when we've we've done this with some of our own leaders you're creating an atmosphere in the room right now that's calling to account you can do better you know um so I think those three areas of transparency, consistency and empathy feed into this. Mm. I'm aware time is rattling along and I, I mean, we could talk for a long time and I'd love to talk more about your micro church concept, church online and stuff. Ed, have you got a final question so we can let these guys go and, and to wrap things up? Yeah, Stephen, Angie, thank you so much for your time. There's so much to, uh, as I said, there's so much we could more we could dig into, but um, so much wisdom what you've already said as well what one piece um what one piece of advice would you give to uh christian in a new leadership role uh, to help them be a better leader i'd say to really get the people around you see if you can find a mentor or go to mm. places where you can actually find somebody <coughs> excuse me <coughs> who can invest into you um these last few years i've done something called a She Leads Retreat, which um, I found that there wasn't a place that I could go as a woman and a woman in leadership. And uh, I was thinking, I get invited to things, but often as a plus one. And you feel it, that it's a plus one, that Steve's got the invite and I get invited too, but it's because he's there, not because necessarily I'm there. Um, and so I decided to create a space that I could actually invite um, women leaders to come. And the the best bit of that, that we've, we teach within the group uh, but the best part is the networking which i hate the word networking the friendship building the connection that has happened and the support that's happening now through different churches across the country because the kids team person knows the kids team person and can ring them up and say what do you do about this or you got any ideas on this or the community side of things um i'd say make sure you get people around you who can support you not just say nice things to you, but actually can help invest into you um, and you can swap ideas and support one another in it. Yeah, one thing. It's really hard to get down to one thing. I always hate questions like this, but um, I'm probably going to brutalise the uh, phrase, but I think it was Bill Gates that said something like, people overestimate what they can do in one year, but underestimate what they can do in 10 um, and so, and I like that, but that, I like that because I'm a, I've been here 30 no. years <laughs> and <laughs> I see from that perspective, what I thought I could do in one year was silly, but we did it in 10 <laughs> and we did more in 20 and more in 30. So I, I'd, I'd say to someone, try and keep perspective and don't try and do it all in a rush. Um, someone once said, didn't they? God's never in a rush. It's one of his most infuriating qualities. 
Uh, <laughs> and I kind of get that, and, and I see that now. Uh, I think I tried too quickly in, in 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 some areas. Tried to bring change in too quickly. Probably should have gone slower. The bigger you get, the slower you have to go in some things. Again, it can be a personal frustration, but it's not about me. It's about the whole. So I think that's what I'd say. Is keep a perspective of what you can do over a longer haul. Wonderful. Steve and Angie, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for your wisdom. That's some great advice right there. And maybe we'll have to do this again another day. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sam. Well, that was so good, wasn't it? So refreshing to hear um, a husband and wife talking so positively about their experiences leading church together. Um, they seem to be doing it really well. Uh, have you got any kind of thoughts there, Ed, that sort of struck with you, that kind of resonated? Yeah, lots of thoughts. There's so much in there, wasn't there? And um, really good to dig into those two big topics, the one about family and the other one particularly about the leadership and accountability and trust. Uh, for me, that trust piece was really interesting. I think, you know, um, Steve was mentioning it about being in the church. That's even more the case because we're a trust-based community. But I think if you look across leadership, whether it's, you know, politics or, you know, what you see on the news, you know, trust is often in pretty short supply. And so really interesting to hear um, what he said about taking that time to rebuild trust with Global Leadership Network and their role there. And also that other piece um, from Craig Rochelle about, uh, you know, the three pieces of leadership and um, it being about trust, it being about consistency and it being about empathy. And, uh, you know, that thing just comes back to me all the time. You trust is really hard to build and really easy to lose. Um, and there's a treasure there. There's a treasure in... Um, uh, the behaviours that we have behind that to um, build and maintain trust and doing that in the right way over a long period of time. Um, you know, that's something that is really hard to do and needs to be really respected and honoured. Yeah. And I, it reminds me of a conversation I had this week with a member of my team and I've been away for a, a while and they said, we just need more time with you to rebuild mm. trust. So if there's any uncertainty on decisions that are being made and why is this thing happening, if you don't feel like you've had much time with that person and you, you haven't built that, like you say, that reservoir of trust, then mm. the assumption is actually this, this decision is not a very good one or a bad one or it's going to cause me harm or pain. Whereas if there's an element of I've got enough, you know, residual trust with this person because we've connected and built community, then actually I'm gonna I'm gonna believe the best. And I thought that was a really interesting observation. And I, yeah. I guess there is no shortcut to building trust. It takes time, mm. as you've said. Mm. And probably that overlaps mm. with a piece I found fascinating around family. And you know, I've, yeah, I've well, so I was going to ask you about that because you, yeah. you you're personally doing that as well. You lead a church with your wife, and your yep. kids are involved. Um, yeah. So yeah, what was what stood out for you about? Well, their I just think there? I loved the bit when when Steve said, you know, we brought our kids along with us, and they participated in church. It wasn't something, and I, there was so much he said that resonated. You know, I, I don't really want my kids at some level. He's absolutely. He was so honest, and I was like exactly the same. You know, working for the church isn't necessarily a great financial career choice. Um, it's got loads of challenges. It can be hard work. It can be heartache. Um, and I've sometimes tried to 
push my children away into kind of do something else, you know, find something else. And they keep kind of bouncing back. Oh, but we love this. And, um, but I remember my dad doing the same to me. He wrote me a letter when I first worked for the church, encouraging me that if I was going to do that, it's up to you, but I'd kind of almost dissuading me. But if you're going to, here is some advice I could give you. And I wish I'd kept hold of that letter. It's probably worth a lot now to me. Um, oh but, but, you know, having this conversation with my daughter and she said, I want to still work as an intern for the church and she's going to Bible college next year. There was part of me that had to kind of get over myself and going, this is their journey. Um, and, and if this is what God's calling them into, I think the God calling piece is absolutely essential. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, sometimes I think as, as parents, we can't see our own children as other people see them. And I think that how the advice there from Steve and Angie about how do we get help by getting other people in the room to line manage them, other people in the room to make decisions. So when it came to my so daughter interning mm. in the church, I said, well, I'm not going to be responsible for that role. I got, you know, the guy who does all our community pastor work, I said, you're going to be line managing at this role, making sure she's, you know, doing well. And we've had to watch boundaries in the house and conversations and making sure she's talking about things appropriately. So... I think this is a huge issue, but I love the approach of both Angie and Steve about let's take the lid off, let's be honest about both these big subjects. They do exist, they are issues, and if we try and pretend they're not, they can become, you know, misread and people say, oh, they're just getting favours because they're family. And and I think that's, a, you know, really important. Yeah. Anyway, that's yeah. Another, another good episode, Ed. Really good. And I just really love that openness and that authenticity. That's what this podcast is all about. I'm just trying to have those open, authentic conversations and, you know, not far uh, away from some of the difficult conversations and difficult uh, issues that we need to tackle and shine a light on too. We really hope that you enjoyed this episode with um, Pastor Steve and Angie Campbell. Uh, we believe that the church needs honest and authentic leadership um, who put the people they lead before the personal ambition. We want as many uh, Christian influencers and leaders as possible to be able to hear the lessons from this podcast. So please follow us on social media. We are at The Leadership Podcast UK on Instagram. And if you enjoyed this episode, the one thing you can do to help us uh, get it into the ears of more people is to share it with someone else. So please do pass on the link and recommend it. Wonderful. Yes, please do that. And thank you so much, Ed, for joining me on this great adventure. And thank you to those listening. We really couldn't do it without you. Thank you so much. And we look forward to seeing you next time. This podcast is produced in partnership with 3.2, a communications and digital agency for the charity world. We enable impact for good through thoughtful communication and efficient use of digital. Find out more at freed2.com.